On this episode, gravel bike racing in Morocco, saddle sores, Zima, if you grew up in the 80s, you know, and the big lonely. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. We are recording this live from Bend, Oregon. Actually, we're sitting, I'm looking at uh, Drake Pond, and we're sitting in the back of uh, a coffee place right here on the water. It's pretty nice. It's a beautiful day. And we have with us a special guest, Jesse Blau. I think I said that right. Nailed it. (laughs) And he is an ultra adventure cyclist and a father. And uh, uh, he's organizing some really cool events and uh, doing some work with a cool nonprofit. And so we're really excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask you a question, just kind of kick things off, because I texted you as you were, you rode your bike over here. So, you know great cred right there you know <laughs> and he's got the full-on uniform i've got uh, a training ride after yeah, this i gotta the, get in the spandex thing going on <laughs> so we'll get a picture for the show notes of that but i did have a question for you because i i uh, texted you and i asked you uh, if you wanted a coffee to which you said uh no thank you i'm tapering off caffeine for my upcoming race <laughs> And so why in the world would you ever taper off caffeine for a race? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. um, So the type of racing that I do, I end up riding a lot in the middle of the night um, and not sleeping a whole lot. So the uh, like the way to get through that is take caffeine pills. And in my normal everyday life, I drink a fair amount of coffee. uh, And so like I try and reduce the amount of caffeine that I'm taking in on my like day to day so that the pills are more effective when I need them in the middle of the night. Gotcha. So I can keep going that, instead of sleeping. In the middle of the night, you're riding in the middle of the night. What is that about? I mean, what? What? tell me about the, the kind of race that you're preparing for. Sure. Um, so my upcoming race at the end of October is the Arkansas High Country Race. Uh, it's 1,100 miles um, with 90,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, the current record is four days and 20-something hours, and so I'm targeting around five days, give or take, for my race result. And it's mostly gravel roads, some pavements. Uh, I don't think there's any single track in this race, but I haven't really done a deep dive in the route yet. And when is the race? Arkansas High Country. And when is that? When is it? Yes. Uh, Halloween. It starts Halloween. at Halloween. Nice. Yeah. And you race, is there a... Um, I mean, do you stop at checkpoints along the way? So uh, this is a fully unsupported race. So there's no like official checkpoints. There are selfie stops along the way. And then I carry a satellite tracker with me so you can see where I am at any one point along the course. So for this race, no, there are no um, like official like checkpoints or anything, just the selfie stops. And I provide those to the race director at the end to document. So that it's, it's time stamped and geolocated. And exactly. All that. Yeah, yeah, I got it. That's smart. Yeah, it's pretty cool. How many people are in a race like this? Uh, So it's capped at 50. Um, I don't think, you know, it's 2020, so people haven't been showing up to too many of the races. Uh, So I'm I'm guessing it'll probably be around 25 or so at the start. So it's a relatively small field, but it's all people that know what they're doing and have 
a ton of experience in doing stuff like this. Uh, there's a, quite a few people who are from Arkansas who are racing, uh, who have that hometown advantage. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And it's self-supported. So tell us a little bit about the bike that you're going to be riding and what you're going to be bringing with you sure. for five days. Um, so I have a pretty minimalist kit list um, that's been, you know, dialed in over lots of these races. Uh, the bike is a custom titanium frame. Um, Myrad is the company. It's based out of Frankfurt, Germany. Um, and then I've got like a mullet setup. So it's a road up front, a road um, shifters and brake levers with a mountain bike rear derailleur and mountain bike gearing. So this bike, you can't see this in the podcast, obviously, but the bike that you rode here is the bike that you're going to be racing with. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's been it's been tested all over the world. I just got back from Morocco in February. I did a big race over there um, with the same setup. Um, and then gear wise, I'll have I sleep in a bivy when I do sleep, uh, like really small um, event bivy that's waterproof and breathable and I've slept in that thing like at 14,000 feet in the mountains before and it's pretty comfy cozy and then I use a quilt um, for like a sleeping bag and I have pretty heavy duty like alpine rain gear. Arkansas will be interesting because it's going to be pretty wet there's a uh, it's high humidity pretty much all of the time Um, so I'll be dealing with some condensation issues in the bivy and so on and so forth. Yeah the bike so i think one of the advantages then for this kind of race is to stay awake and keep pedaling yeah right because every time you when you stop and sleep and somebody if somebody else doesn't they're just making miles that you're not right it's interesting to kind of strike a balance with that um so for some people they're better able to sleep more and ride faster personally what works best for me is sleeping very little and just riding kind of slowly all of the time. Uh, so for races like this, I'm usually on the bike for 20 hours a day. Um, and that includes like stops for food and filtering water and things like that. In Morocco, I ended up, um, I went 48 hours without sleeping uh, at all um, because I was, I was way behind my target times because I had like really terrible saddle sores and I was in really bad shape. Um, so I just ended up riding straight through. Um, and that's kind of the longest I've ever gone without sleeping. And I felt, you know, like I could handle that. Some people sleep even less than that. Like the guy who won slept maybe 15 minutes uh, over the duration of the race. And it took him four days. Is that where the caffeine pills come in handy? Yeah, yeah. caffeine <laughs> pills come in very handy. <laughs> so, so how did you get into this originally? When did you first start doing this kind of cycling? When did you start cycling? Oh, wow. Um, so I, uh, I took a bad fall climbing and I broke my back. Um, and at the time I was really heavily invested in running, like ultra marathon running. Um, and my neurosurgeon was a cyclist and he suggested that I pick up a bike to kind of stay fit. Uh, so I bought a, like a two speed commuter bike and started riding that thing everywhere. Um, and then eventually that turns into, you know, being competitive, uh, because I am who I am um, and I like competing. I like the, the challenge of like lining up against other people and like seeing how I measure up. Um, and so started doing some road racing, some gravel racing and uh, transitioned more and more into like overnight stuff uh, probably about five years ago, give or take. I still do a fair amount of road racing, but most of my training and Uh, My focus is on the multi-day events, but yeah, it's definitely hard on the body, so I'm not sure how long like that is. (laughs) 
going to stick around. You mentioned before we started that you're coming out of a rough week and an even rougher week before that. So tell us a little bit about your last couple weeks. Yeah, October has been crazy. Um, so I, I host a race um, called the Big Lonely, uh, and it started on October 9th, which was like the last day that it was nice outside for a while. Um, and so I had uh, 11 riders up in the mountains um, last weekend uh, racing this route, an unsupported bikepacking race. Um, and like was constantly worrying about them up in the middle of the night. Like uh, I had a documentary crew with me, so we were out driving the course a lot of the time. Um, and we had to you know camp in the rain and the mud and the uh, miserable weather that we had. Um, and that race ended up, so I had five total finishers out of 11 starters. No, yeah, five total finishers. Uh, and there was a split. So third place came in um, just shy of two days and fourth place came in just shy of four days. So there was a 48 hour split because the um, conditions of the roads deteriorated. There's a uh, section that goes through farmlands east of Madras and that road, whatever they make the road out of, I don't know, uh, it's like a clay and when it gets wet, it just turns into peanut butter. And so the bike doesn't go anymore. You have to, uh, you have to push the bike and then stop and scrape the wheels off and then push the bike. I had a gal, so the, the woman that finished fourth um, carried her bike for over 20 miles just hiking with the, her bike on her shoulders. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a very intense week, uh, constantly worrying about like these people that I sent into the mountains and <laughs> worrying. To their demi- were- sent to their demise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and how long is the route? In total? Uh, so this year it was 335 miles. We had to cut like 30 miles or so off because of the um, Green Ridge fire. Did some damage on the northernmost section of the route. But it has 25,000 feet of elevation gain and is one of my favorite routes around. I use it for training a lot um, to just go out and, you know, get a couple of how, days How in. long does it take you to do the route in good conditions, let's say? Good conditions. For me, uh, it would take probably about 40 hours, I would say. Um, the guy who won uh, the Big Lonely this year finished it in 30 hours, which is phenomenal. It was way, way beyond any of my projections. Uh, he was so fast that we had trouble keeping up with him in the in the vehicle uh, just because there are so many points where you can't, like, you can't drive the course because there's a lot of single track and like really rough four-wheel drive roads that you're actually faster on a bike. Uh, so we had to like, you know, make a whole lot of driving very quickly just to keep up with the guy. So it's impressive, very impressive. When you are going to race yourself, what does your training regimen look like? I mean, do you always just kind of stay fit or do you like rest, rest a bit and then sort of ramp up before I, a big race like this Arkansas one you're going to do? Yeah, so honestly, I'm coming into Arkansas pretty fairly untrained. Um, I didn't expect to be doing any more racing this year after um, Atlas Mountain Race in Morocco. Uh, So that was in February and I kind of backed off a fair amount um, because I didn't think any other races were going to happen. And then this race popped up and so I just kind of jumped on it. Uh, But so most of my training happens in the winter and that's largely because a lot of the racing that I do is in spring. Uh, The last two years I've been racing primarily in the spring. Um, so last year I did, uh, Iberica Traversa, which is a mountain bike race across Spain. It's like 1800 miles. Um, and that was in April. Uh, and then Atlas was in February. So 
I, I have a coach through the winter uh, who develops like a training program um, that I do on the trainer, like in, in the garage. Uh, like I hook my bike up to a machine and just sit there and spin in front of the fan and Netflix uh, for hours at a time. It sounds way worse than it is, but. <laughs> do, do you do like Wahoo or do you do any of the like the training, you know, you know, they have like all the online. What's the uh, what's the big one? Zwift. Zwift. Yeah. Do you do that? Do you do yeah. races with other people to compete and stay sharp? Yeah. So I'll do some Zwift racing. Um, I did a lot of that uh, this past um, like after Atlas just because. COVID. Yeah. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yep. C word. <laughs> uh, so I did a lot of Zwift racing, um, which is cool. And it's a fun way to like kind of be competitive, but it's not nearly the same as like suffering in the wet weather. Um so, yeah. End and everything else, right? right yeah. yeah, yeah. Conditions, you, mud. You kind of, you know, feed off of that. Like I tend, I tend to do really well in awful weather. Like, uh, like w- the wetter, the colder, the more miserable it is. Um, the more important it is to have a good attitude. And I think, like, I have a really good attitude. So for me, racing in really bad weather um, is an advantage. Uh, whereas for most people, it's not. Like, because you crack. <laughs> um, how did you go from being a racer to being like an organizer and someone that puts on their own events? What, what inspired you to do that? Uh, that's a good question. So um, the uh, the Big Lonely came out as, um, like, like I said, it's a training route that I really like to do. And I was looking for a way to fundraise for the team. So I'm the um, founder of Northwest Competitive Adventure, which is an ultra endurance racing team. Um, and we have, you know, decent sponsors that are very generous and thanks everybody but uh it's also valuable to you know create events and like generate funds ourselves and uh promote our sponsors in that way um so i started it like kind of with the idea of it being a fundraiser for the team and then uh ultimately decided to instead start a nonprofit that it's going to be the primary fundraiser for in the future um but it just kind of seemed like the natural progression of things. I, I do a lot of volunteering and I like, I really enjoy the race atmosphere and the environment at events. Uh, I still volunteer a lot at ultra marathons because um, I'm not supposed to run anymore. Uh, so it's how I get my fix that way. And I figured, you know, start a race and I get that kind of built in um, experience of being in an event, even though I'm not competing. Super rewarding. It was Great. a blast. That's that's fantastic. Do you want to just talk a little bit more about uh, Northwest Competitive Adventures and your and your organization? Sure. And how yeah. it was founded and it's all that. Um, so we've got uh, like I'd say forty members at this point um, that vary from like people who have never competed in anything in their lives um, and see competitive adventure as more like competing with themselves um, and all the way up to some really elite guys who have you know records at some of the hardest events in the world and you know kind of everything in between there Uh, so it's primarily like a community organization like we've provide like a social structure for athletes to uh, communicate with each other and like share um, in their accomplishments and uh, talk about adventures yeah exactly talk about their adventures Um, and then uh, we also do like a fair amount of like promoting in uh, like we have a local shop here a bike shop web cyclery that hosts us uh, from time to time where we'll come in and like do talks and presentations and clinics and like teach people how to work on their bike when it breaks in the middle of the woods uh, stuff like that and so Basically, the the primary goal is to further the concept of competitive adventure. Uh, people are moving more and more away from like road racing and these like one day events, and are seeking these more experiential 
events like where they they want to have like a a, a complete and whole experience and, so it's been cool, like fostering that. Have you done any of the like the, the, the dirty Kanza or any of the sort of the well-known gravel events yet, or is that something you want to do? Or are they, uh, are so they too dirty, short? Yeah, dirty, <laughs> dirty Kansas a, a little on the short side. It's like, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an ultra marathon runner, so I, I want to run like you know 50 miles. But for me to try and like run a mile at a really high intensity is is I just feel like crap. <laughs> you know, it's pushing myself way too hard. It, it goes against all of my training. Um, I've done a lot of the local gravel races, and I'll do those um, throughout the years, like as training events. Um, but it's not it's not my primary focus uh, with training, just because it's that that intensity level is so much higher. Uh, I want something that like is more of a slow burn than a than a sprint, and it sounds funny saying that 200 miles is a sprint but it's, it's all relative so so i've got a buddy that i did a um my first bike packing trip with last last year that's a whole nother story but i when i heard about the big lonely i was like hey ben uh what do you think about this you know maybe we could sign up as a team and and do this you know not this year obviously but maybe next year you know yeah so what advice do you have for somebody who's like, you know, like really new to this? And is that just, am I crazy to even <laughs> consider that? No. Um, so we had a guy who showed up to the Big Lonely. It was his first ever bikepacking trip. Like he'd never, he'd never like gone bikepacking at all uh, and showed up with like a bunch of gear. He asked me a lot of questions. Um, I lent him a couple of things uh, so that he would be like at least comfortable most of the time that he was out there. I want the Big Lonely to be like a, like a very beginner friendly bikepacking race. Like that's the idea of it uh, to have like, 335 miles where somebody who's super elite can come in and like really push themselves and, and finish it without sleeping and uh, stuff like that. But also give somebody an opportunity to, to test themselves in a more like semi-controlled environment. Um, so a lot of these unsupported races don't necessarily prioritize um, safety as much as I'd like to see. Uh, so we had a dedicated team of dot watchers um, who were like observing where everybody was the entire time and were in constant contact with me 24-7 just in case somebody stopped or like yeah, there were any other concerns. Yeah, not moving on the map. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or if it's moving backwards or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The wrong which, way. Yeah, <laughs> which happened to a couple of people when they broke their bikes trying to push it through the mud and had to turn around and walk back through oh. the mud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I think, I think it makes a really good um, beginner bikepacking race um, we're also going to host some uh, like clinics on the route where it'll be like semi-supported where I'll have like um, camps and things set up where riders will ride into camp and we'll like cater food and like have pre-established break stops and things like that to sort of generate more interest in racing eventually or not you know That's super cool so I'm looking at your your on your forks you have Alaska Divide dot com written on them what's what is that is that a race you did is that a ride you did or is yeah that, so uh, uh i uh, it's a race that i planned that didn't end up happening this year oh, no. <laughs> the alaska divide yeah. yeah so it's a thousand mile bikepacking race across alaska uh that starts in anchorage and ends in dead horse um so next year next year 2021 yeah in august yeah so you mentioned that you have a nonprofit that you started as well so tell us more about that yeah um it's the adventure access fund the northwest competitive adventure access fund and it's a um, grant and scholarship program uh, for bipoc and other marginalized people who are prospective adventurers uh, people who 
are interested in participating in outdoor sports but don't have like a background in it or don't know where to start uh, things like that so we provide like gear scholarships and um, funds and education uh, to applicants um, who you can apply at nwcompetitive.com the uh, adventure access fund link on there yeah we just uh, we just awarded our first round of grants which is really cool we have a a gal who's uh, funding a bikepacking trip through Arkansas. She's actually going to be on the route that I'm racing uh, a couple weeks before uh, I get out there. She left yesterday. So you'll get some good beta on yeah, the route. Right. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> she's, uh, and she's I'll throw covering... your motive there. <laughs> right, right. She's, uh, she's covering 250 miles of the route in five days. Um, so I'll get a, a, a snippet of that uh, little section. And how would, and so for people who are interested you know, how, how do you encourage people? Because I think a lot of times people will hear something like that and they're like, oh, well, like if I have no experience or some experience. So what are sort of the qualifications that you look for in somebody? Yeah. And what are like, ideally, what do you want the grants to go for? So people have an idea of like, yep, that's what I want to do. Right. The goal is to encourage more participation. So uh, we're, we're not, we don't ask for any kind of experience whatsoever. In fact, the less experience, the better. Um, and the uh, the only requirements on our end is that you share like some stories with us, uh, so that we can show that the the outdoor adventure community is is a place for everybody. It's not it's not just for people that look like me and live in Bend. Like it can be you know, for everybody, for a woman that lives in Seattle or I don't know other places. <laughs> Se- Seattle is pretty outdoorsy. That was not a very good yeah, example. Yeah. Come, on, come on, Jesse, you <laughs> can do better than that. that. <laughs> you can do better. I mean, I don't know, like some town in Ohio or something. Yeah, right. Dayton, Columbus. Ohio. How about Columbus or Dayton, Columbus. Ohio? There you go. Okay. I've been to Dayton. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're actually not looking for you. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, in addition to like gear and um, you know gear and equipment, because that's usually a huge barrier just from an expense standpoint. Do you also provide like mentorship and coaching and sort of you know, is, or does it just depend on the applicant? Yeah. Um, so basically, we ask like uh, you explain kind of what what you're what you are looking for, um, and we have uh, the board of directors is. Um, largely women who have a ton of experience doing stuff like this and so they offer mentorship and um, education and things uh, we do like clinics and we'll do coaching if if necessary uh, just kind of whatever that the applicant happens to need uh, to encourage them to do more of this stuff nice and, and you're a, a father right are you recently father? yeah you yeah recently become a father right full-time or? father wow um, <laughs> nice that's that, that's cool yeah so uh amelia is a year and a half she's one year and seven months right yeah june yeah sounds right um, uh but yeah uh, first and amazing kid like i absolutely love seeing her grow and like encouraging her to have a life of adventure too she's already spent so in her in her year she spent nine nights backpacking with us cool uh, nice with my wife and i yeah yeah yeah. she experienced her first alpine thunderstorm in the wallawas in northeastern oregon Uh, my wife and i took her up there and the weather turned really bad and uh lightning storm came in we were above tree line it was really windy and i was scared but amelia was just angry that we didn't get to cook dinner so she was <laughs> the whole time signing food 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 <laughs> seems like that'd be a good training throw her in a throw her a little 
trailer, drag her up, drag her up a mountain. I've done her. I've done intervals with yep. her in the burly yep. hooked up to the bike. <laughs> I can't hook it up to this bike, unfortunately, but I have my single speed, which makes it even more challenging to only have one gear. You got a, a custom bike. Did you like choose like the geometry and all that yourself? Was that custom built to what you yeah, wanted? Yeah. Did you have someone just kind of come up with that and just tell them what you want and then come up with it? What was the process of getting a, a custom made bike uh, in Germany? Right. <laughs> so uh, the company is um, my friend's company. Uh, so he's, he's a, an experienced bike designer. And I knew like the geometry numbers that I liked personally uh, coming from a few different bikes previously. Um, the bike that preceded this is one of the more ubiquitous um, bikepacking bikes, the uh, Salsa Cutthroat. And it's very similar geometry to, to a Cutthroat, it just has like slightly longer chainstays, so it's a little bit more mountain bikey, um, and like a little bit more fork rake too, uh, so it's just a little bit more stable on the gnarly descents. Um, but yeah, I knew that I wanted a drop bar rigid mountain bike that w that I could put a suspension fork on eventually if I wanted to, depending on the event. And so I worked with Alex, uh, Alex Jacobson, um, who's actually an American who lives in Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, we spent, you know, countless hours just going over all the different numbers and like see like, what what exactly like if you change this, what that's going to change on the back end and so on and so forth. Uh, so it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of um, based on experience kind of stuff. But yeah, once you once you spent you know a couple years on the same bike, you know what you like and what you're gonna want uh, next time around. I ride maybe ten thousand miles a year, and so like I know I know what it, what it, what what I need sure. it to feel like for me to yeah, yeah. go fast and yeah be comfortable. Yeah, keep your knees and your back and everything, you know from getting too sore or right I mean, they're gonna get so or somewhat if you're gonna do like this chronic yeah, things yeah. You're doing, but, but hey <laughs> if you can mitigate that why not right <laughs> whatever way possible i have a um a friend who owns a, a, a physical therapy studio in portland uh, that specializes in bike fits too um so i'll like when i get a new bike i'll take it to him and he'll fit me to it and like dial in how many millimeters my cleats need to be moved inward or whatever, because those millimeters matter so much. <laughs> so I'm a roadie. I ride a lot, and you know, I'm I'm sort of the one that all my non-cyclist or bicycling friends go to when they're going to buy a bike. Right. And the only thing I ever tell them, I'm like, you know what? Kind of get the bike you want. I steer them away from hybrids usually. I'm like, if you want to do mountain bike, get a mountain bike. If you want to do road, you ride on the road, get a road bike. Totally. You want to do gravel, get a, you know, get a gravel bike. Don't get those hybrids because they're they're right. lame. But uh, the one thing I tell them is get get it fit. Mm -hmm. That is like the most important thing about it. Like if you, you could get, you know, if the bike doesn't fit you, it's not going to be fun, you right. know, and it's going to hurt, you know, you could hurt yourself. Um, so more importantly, it's better to spend half as much on a bike that fits you than twice as much, you know, on a bike that doesn't. That's super well put. And I think even like it's, it's more important when you're just starting out, right? Because yeah. if it doesn't feel comfortable to be on the bike, you're just never going to ride it. Right? No, absolutely. I'll end up buying it on Craigslist from you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the other crazy thing too. Like, you know, people always kind of want to want the newest, but there's so many wealthy people will buy a bike, ride it twice you know, spend 8,000 sure. on it. And then, you know, it sits in the garage for two years and you can find it for, you know, for like right. half the price or less even. Just put new tubes in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. ready to go. Absolutely. So that, that, that's great. Yeah. Like trying to, you know, minimize my impact on the environment. It's like titanium bikes are, are, are 
ride it for life, right? Like so, so it's a it's a bike that I know I'm gonna have for a really long time. My road bike I've had for eight years now. It's it's a titanium frame, rim brake, like super comfortable, awesome bike. Um, and then like you know, I think you know the cycling industry tends to try to encourage you to to spend more money than you need to and, and sure. buy things more frequently than you have to and so on. So um, tell us a little bit about this race in Morocco you did because that sounds sounds like a pretty amazing Ooh. experience. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Uh, I can't believe that it was only a few months ago because the world is like completely different. It changed while I was there. Like uh, there were a bunch of people from Italy who did the race and at the finish line they were concerned they weren't even going to be able to go home uh because just in those six days that i was racing like the everything changed um so the atlas mountain race was like a 700 mile 750 mile um mountain bike race through morocco goes through the atlas and anti-atlas mountains uh it's mostly like mule trails and colonial roads that vehicles can't go down there are a couple of times where you're riding in like a riverbed like a dry riverbed uh for days at a time um, really technically challenging course. Like I did some of the more technical mountain biking that I've ever done in my life on the rigid drop bar bike. Uh, just because if I didn't ride it, I would have, it would have taken me days longer to finish. Uh, brutal conditions, like super, super rocky, um, and, uh, hot, long stretches with no resupply. Like I was out of water for a good 24 hours at one point. Yikes. Um, I got the worst saddle sores I've ever had in my life to the point where I couldn't take my bibs off because they were stuck to me. Uh, (laughs) I had to stop and get a hotel room um, and soak in the, in the shower uh, just so I could peel my bibs free. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Is there there something past type two fun, right? This sounds like, is there like a, that sounds like, like type 12 fun. Right. That's a, wow. That's, that's crazy. In, in hindsight, you know, it's starting to become more fun in my head uh, than it actually was. <laughs> but there were there were moments like throughout that race where I was very much suffering. Um, but it was great to squeeze that in right before racing kind of shut down. Now, uh, maybe a question about that, because I would think that bis- being on a bicycle and in a bicycle race, you're kind of socially distanced by nature right i mean you're six feet apart generally or more um you know what's the obstacle that's preventing a lot of the races from actually going on yeah um so i think like generally travel is the biggest thing like people don't want to get on planes people don't want to get in a car with each other um i think these like specifically these kind of races can be done safely and uh you know have very minimal impact on the communities that they're passing through. Uh, like, so for the big lonely riders had to wear a mask anytime they were getting resupply. I did interval starts. Um, so, uh, three riders at a time were, uh, like started the race and I staggered them based on how fast they expected to finish. So the faster riders went first, assuming they would always be ahead, you know, and the slowest riders at the very back, assuming they would always be at the very back. Um, and so I think there, like, there are contingencies and ways to do it where it's safe. Uh, but like road racing, when you're racing in a peloton and you're like super close to somebody, that I wouldn't feel safe personally doing that. Um, a bike packing race, sure, I might see people at the start, but I don't think I'm gonna run into too many people in Arkansas. Yeah, that said, the Tour de France, they made it. They yeah, did, they did the whole event, beginning to end, not a single case. Right. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. The, the Giro d'Italia is going on now, and they've had actually two of the top 
like five contenders uh, tested positive and are yeah. out of the race now. Oh. So that one may not make it. But I mean, it's if you look at how insane the Tour de France is, right? That many riders and that many support staff and just and everything, and they were able to do the whole event. So sure, without cases. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, I yeah. love the idea that you staggered the starts. They're like. You know, so people were all sort of where they were probably going to be ish, right? right? Um, what did you have a cutoff? You know, how do you make sure that you're able to provide support? Because you said safety is a big concern for you, which I love. Sure. Um, how do you sort of make sure that you know you're able to keep an eye on everybody? And is there a cutoff? I mean, is there sort of a yeah, so it was pretty easy for me um, to manage everything from HQ, which is my downstairs bedroom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, so it's in it's like kind of circumnavigates bend so from my house i can get pretty much anywhere in a couple of hours driving time um so with safety being a primary concern like knowing how and quickly i could get two places uh at the same time because i wanted it to be a very beginner friendly race i didn't set a cutoff uh i i encouraged riders to take as much time as they as they needed to uh, so the first the first rider finished in 30 hours the last the fifth rider uh finished in like five days um so i think that's that's key to creating like a more beginner friendly race to not be chasing cutoffs the whole time in addition to learning how to manage your you know not sleeping and and stuff a lot of the races that i do do have cutoffs and it's it's disheartening to have people like just barely miss it and then they're stuck like they're done the race is over uh so with the big lonely i wanted to create a race environment that was as welcoming as i could for first time people and how, and how many people did you say were signed up this year uh, so well, 44 I mean, signed up and then 11 showed up to start <laughs> and what do you what would you normally in, a, in, a, in, a, in normal circumstances right <laughs> back to someday what would be your normal so the cap is set at 74, and that's because the Forest Service permit is set at um, 74 people. Uh, so 74 is kind of the maximum that I really want to manage at all, personally. Uh, and then I think ideally it would be something around 50, just so that everybody kind of gets a, a, a better experience overall. I think a smaller, more intimate race tends to lend itself well to first-time um, participants. Um and is it just dispersed camping? I mean, were there designated places where they could camp, or, or was it basically just anywhere along the side of the road? If yeah, um, so it passes through uh, national forests, and riders know like they're not allowed to camp anywhere where it's private property. Uh, so there's no designated places. People just kind of sleep where they want to sleep or don't sleep. Um, and so most of the riders like camped somewhere in the Deschutes National Forest, uh, and then also down at the southern, like the BLM lands uh, near Paulina. Um, riders camp there too and then the Ochico mountains uh, it passes through the Ochicos so no there's no designated places just camping in national forests only which is convenient because we live in Bend where there's national forests like everywhere yeah it surrounds us <laughs> and you said there was no single track on this one on this route oh there's a fair amount of single track, yeah. Single track yeah. yeah it was a uh, probably 25 percent single track and then 35 percent um gravel roads and then the rest was paved the only like long pavement sections were the uh the crooked river scenic byway um which is absolutely beautiful and nobody minded being on on a uh, pavement for that and then um through the ochicos there are a couple stretches and then lake billy chinook riders are on pavement for that uh, but it's all low traffic roads um with a short exception of coming into prineville on highway 26 on the trans am route
So as our document, official documentarian, I, I understand that you are making a documentary or in the process of finishing a documentary on your, your big lonely race. Yeah, um, so it was super fun to have that experience. I have a, a friend who uh, runs a media company called Ebb Media uh, based in Portland, and he came down and filmed during the event, during the, during the race, uh, a bunch of interviews and lots of really cool drone footage and um, stuff. Uh, the, so if you're interested in participating in the Big Lonely next year, like I strongly recommend you check out the documentary and get a feel for what the terrain looks like and all that. It'll premiere on bikepacking.com here in the next couple of months, just as soon as Seth gets everything kind of dialed in. Um, and then we'll have uh, photos and stuff posted on the website here in the next couple of days. Awesome. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. And around most people on gravel bikes like yours, so no suspension, or people on mountain bikes, what's sort of a typical bike for people who are riding yeah it depends on what you're trying to prioritize i think um like the uh the first place woman the only woman that finished uh she was on a mountain bike and she's a very experienced mountain biker so it, it suits her really well to have the flat bars and the um, squishy front end and big tires because it's what she's comfortable with and it's what she's used to um the first and second place guys were both on bikes very similar to mine um, just a little bit skinnier tires and um, more road-oriented gearing. Uh, I have skinny little legs, so I tend to push like a, a higher gear ratio. High cadence. Yeah, yeah, right. Like I come from a road background. Like I'm, I'm much better on the road than I am on the single track. I'm an awful mountain biker, so tend to try to spin rather than chug it out. I'm a gear masher and my knees are starting to turn me into more of a high cadence guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently 30 years of pushing your biggest gear, uh, you know, uh, takes its toll. Right. <laughs> but it makes you stronger. It does. They say. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Just not your knees. <laughs> so your Northwest Competitive Adventures, um, are you, people who are part of it, or is it mostly based in Bend? Like, where do you have sort of members or people yeah. as part of the community? Where do they hail from? Uh, so it's all over the Northwest. We have um, like some ultramarathon runners who are based in Coeur d'Alene. Uh, I've got some riders from Seattle. Um, but a lot of them are from Bend just because, you know, I'm here. And so like a lot of my friends are on the team. So <laughs> and people that I ride with. I've got a, a bunch of people from Portland, of course, a few people from Salem. Uh, so it's kind of mostly uh, the Northwest. There's a uh, ultra marathon runner Helgi Olafsson who I got a plug. He just finished his uh, uh, Moab 240, a 240 mile running race. It's the third time he's finished that race. Um, he just finished it like two days ago, I think. Uh, and he's he, he lives on a yacht. Like uh, he's a chef, a private chef. So <laughs> so he has a how does, how does he, he train, train for a race <laughs> like a running in circles on the boat? We got to get video. this guy on the podcast, <laughs> man. I think we had, that all occurred to us at the same time. Wait a minute, if yeah. he's an ultra marathoner on a yacht, how does that how does that work? <laughs> Our collective faces. What you can't see was all of us going what? <laughs> Death by a thousand and cuts just yeah. running in yeah. little circles oh my like, gosh you gotta see his Strava <laughs> <laughs> his heat map is uh, yeah. interesting well it's better than a treadmill right yeah. I mean it's at least you're not not moving you're, right, you're right. moving <laughs> and you develop those stabilizer muscles sure running on the wake <laughs> yeah um, so, so I'm guessing no one, no Californians though, right? Is that the rule? Is that like, where the, is that where you're, you're like, you know, the one place well, where you're not allowed yeah. to? I, 
I mean, I, w I would welcome, you know, uh, people from, from Northern California for sure. Uh, but hey it's now. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> Slap in the face. It's, it's supposed to be the Northwest. I can't, <laughs> I can't in good conscience say Southern California is in the Northwest. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I don't know. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add or share or uh, pass on to our listeners? Maybe a tip for... Uh, for training for your next big adventure sure i encourage people to to get out and have an adventure like whatever whatever that happens to look like uh whatever gear you have whatever bike you have like whatever whatever your idea is to to get out and have experiences like pursue that um i think there's there's a ton of like individual growth that happens in like pushing yourself and seeing what your limits look like and doing so in a semi-controlled environment uh so yeah get out and ride your bike go bike packing go backpacking climb stuff great great thanks thanks so much jesse yeah, yeah where, where can people me. find out more about uh the big lonely northwest competitive adventures and the uh adventure the adventure access fund. access fund yeah yeah so nwcompetitive.com so it's all one word uh that's the um, team website and everything kind of jumps off from there. Like there's a registration for the Big Lonely will open in the next few months uh, for 2021. Um, I've got two additional races that I'm organizing here in Central Oregon for next year that'll be uh, kind of similar concepts. Um, and then I'm the Great Jesse on Instagram, uh, so you can follow me on there and follow Northwest Competitive, all one word, uh, is the Instagram for the team. I'm going to think about signing up for the Big Lonely next year. Yeah, give it a <laughs> shot. Even even tour the route. Like, the route's public now. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Get out and, and ride, you know. The... Yeah, do it on my own so I don't shame myself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, called, it's called an individual time trial. That That's is a... true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so get out and do an ITT of the, uh, of the Big Lonely. It's, I, I mean, I absolutely love the route. I'm obviously biased, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a really great route with a ton of different variety of terrain is it always in october uh so the big lonely is always going to be beginning of october the idea of my races is to make the weather kind of a character in the story uh so i've got like shoulder season events um so the uh springtime race riders will be pushing through snow uh on some passes that won't be snowed out in june ish uh the big lonely happens in october and as we saw like the weather is definitely a character in the beginning of october uh, wet and muddy and stuff and then I have a race that I'm organizing kind of dead summer that's going to go out in eastern Oregon where it'll be very very unpleasantly hot uh, that race I think is going to start and end on the summit of Steens Mountain so riders will have to ride they'll have to ride up and then they'll have to ride down and then they'll have to ride back up it'll be no thank you brutal <laughs> <laughs> brutal brutal's a good word challenging let's go with challenging yeah character building yeah <laughs> Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's yeah. been great. A lot of fun. Thank you. Great having me. Hello, Almost There Adventure podcast listeners. So if those of you who have been with us since the beginning will remember, when we first started doing this podcast, we were doing all kinds of different segments where we would do taste tests and things like that. Well, as many of you know, this thing called COVID happened, and sadly, we haven't been able to do that for the last few months. But we, are, we have met up in a lovely campground in the Bend area now, and Jeff and Severia and I, along with Severia's mom and Jeff's wife, are all hanging out um, at a campground up in Bend, and we're going to do a few more taste tests for you, including, and this is very exciting, we are taste testing canned cocktails. We have, we have, Woo. we're going to have two sessions of this. Um, this session is the Moscow Mule 
segment. So, Saveri, why don't you tell us which two flavors we're going to be tasting? Yeah, so we're actually doing two whiskey mules. Uh, One is from Cutwater Spirits, which is based in San Diego, California. And the other one is from Pabst Blue Ribbon. Who knew that they were doing canned cocktails? So we have two that we're trying. And for the hipster crowd, I guess, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And while they're not on ice, it is a little chilly and we're in Bend this weekend, and so they are cold, but the thought was that we would not put them on ice because, in theory, you might have this in your backpack when you're out backpacking someplace. So mm. so that's part of the taste test is, like, yeah. if it's not coming from the fridge. Interesting. They're, they're pretty yeah. chilly. I like this. <laughs> and if you're a weight weenie, you probably would not will not be carrying them in your pack. Although, are, but, once yeah. you drink it, it you, the weight is pretty negligible. You can that's, compact that's true. it down. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's let's uh, let's give the first one a taste. Which one are we gonna do first? Let's do the cut water. Yeah, let's do the yeah, cut let's water do first. The cut water. All right, all right. Doing cut water. By the way, we're all socially distanced and we have hand sanitizer. Yes, just for the record, and yes. we're not drinking a whole can. <laughs> You're not. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks good. Yeah, it looks kind of like ginger ale, right? It does. Yeah. yeah. It does look like ginger ale. I'm sniffing it because that's what you do, right? Drinking oh, yeah, a fine cocktail. You swirl it around and you, you swirl it around. Put your nose in it. We're not going to be swallowing. We're going to be spitting out as well. Oh. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. I'm kidding. We're totally not going to be doing that. All right. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I inhaled the bubbles. <laughs> yeah. It's very carbonated, right? Yeah. Am I crazy? It's it's very very carbonated, like more so than a soda popper or like. Um, even like really highly carbonated beer, like champagne. Well, maybe that's what I would compare it to is like a really high carbonated beer or champagne. Well, a Moscow Mule does have ginger beer, which yeah. is carbonated. No, it's true. Yeah. I taste the ginger for sure. It's, yeah. an, it's a nice ginger. Yeah. Like, it's got a really good. Refreshing. It's very refreshing, actually. It is. A little spiciness to yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, like, I like this one, I have to say. Um, it, I mean, if you're. Drinking cocktails, a lot of times ideas you want it to not taste like alcohol, right? That's kind of the, sometimes the point of, co- of cocktails. And I will say it could be a hair sweeter. You know, mm. I usually don't like sugary things, but I, I feel like if you're trying to maybe just a teeny bit sweeter would have been my uh I'm going to disagree thing. with you this, on really? this one, Really? Oh, no. Okay. I think yeah. uh, I like the dryness of this. Yeah. It's got a hint of sweetness, but um, I'm okay with where it's at. I like it. Okay. okay. Yeah, and I'm going to say I usually... Like, I'm not a huge whiskey person, but this is really good, actually. Totally drinkable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Good stuff. I think that's, that's, I, could, I would add this to the repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would drink this again. I, it's maybe What's, not my usual. I can't, I can't lie. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cutwater Spirits already. So, okay. like, I'm very familiar. I haven't tried this one yet, but I'm very familiar mm-hmm. with some of their, yeah. <laughs> too familiar with some of their drinks. Okay. So, what's, <laughs> what's the ABV on this, though? Because what I don't want to do is take this on a hike up South Sister. And have this at the summit at ten th- over ten thousand feet, and then have it, you know, crush my. So what do you think the alcohol? What do you think the alcohol volume is? What I'm going to guess ten percent. Seven. Yeah. All right. I, I was going to go eight. So yeah. 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 Okay. So seven percent, and it's important to remember that a can is a lot. Yeah. You know, so what, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like a double IPA is, yeah. or a strong IPA is, as yeah. far as alcohol percentage. And especially if you're at altitude. Yeah, yeah sir. Which we are. Damn. Woohoo. <laughs> And now we're moving on to the second one. And the second one is the Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah. A bird just tried to steal our alcohol and our Triscuits. <laughs> oh, some wind. Okay, this looks different right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, we got the wind. Yeah, yeah, let the wind pass before we... Uh... Although it didn't sound too bad in the, in the headphones, but it's kind of hard to tell. It might be nice to have a little bit that? of, you know... Huh? You gonna kill that? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Don't make us use another cup. We're trying to be eco-friendly here. Sweet. Yeah. The other one? No. Oh. Hmm. I'm going to use a Triscuit as a palate cleanser. They're organic Triscuits, by the way. Mm. The only kind I'll eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. Straight from Costco. <laughs> yeah, so the color immediately is different. So the other one had, mm -hmm. like, it was a ginger, like, I'd say, it sounds a ginger silly. Ale a ginger ale, color, yeah, color. Yeah. So Vera's mom's not liking it. Mm -hmm. This one's clear, like, it looks mm -hmm. like Sprite. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Ooh. here we go. <laughs> This is a little medicine-y. I don't yeah. like this one. Nope. I don't. I don't like this one, personally. It's a little medicinal. Right. It's. It's not. Um, yeah. Not. Not loving it. Jeff. It's okay. Yeah. But I, after the other one, the cutthroat. I. Yeah. This is not. Doesn't hold a candle to it. I mean, my notes on the cutthroat were very minor. I'm like, I really liked it. I just a hair sweeter. I would have liked it that much more. This. I. I just. I. I yeah. There's not even notes. It's just, it's not really. This one, me. I'm struggling to find the ginger. The other one had that really nice, yeah. like good could, gingery. It was, it was clear. Oh, yeah. This one, thing? I can't this find has, it either. This, has, this is supposed to have ginger in it? <laughs> yeah, I would not know it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't taste the ginger or the there's, whiskey. There's some, yeah. there's some <laughs> no. aftertaste or yeah. some flavor. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really come across as ginger, though. Mm -hmm. No. So I, 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 I feel think, it's almost more like a, like the seltzers that are all the craze right now. You know how everyone's drinking. What was that white claw? Yeah, yeah like yeah. the white claws. Like it's kind of more along those lines. It's more along yeah. the seltzery. Yeah, vibe. and like Bud Budweiser, I think has a has one as well, right? I think they're yeah. I mean, it's basically just like I think what they did is they found like a warehouse full of Zima. They I forgot. Was just gonna say, totally. <laughs> and, and, they, and they've and they've just repackaged it all in but with Budweiser <laughs> seltzer on the outside because you know to to, to to whatever. Yeah. Who of our listeners remembers Zima? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. If you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems like every couple of years they come out with that sort of like light, light drinking, you know, not beer, beer yeah. or whatever. That kind of like softer. Alcohol beer, thing. but not beer, right? Like yeah. you know, like you know, five percent, you know, three percent alcohol kind of thing for people that you know don't like beer. But yeah, no, not not uh, not loving yeah, this no. one. Yeah, and I feel like the with the Cutwater Whiskey Mule. That's a good combination if you because I'm not a huge bourbon person, but I really liked it. So I think it's a good balance if you want to have like share a drink with somebody who does like bourbon yeah. and somebody who doesn't but likes ginger. I think you actually it's actually a good comprom it's a good compromise. Yeah. I, All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. Extra special thanks to the Looney Bean and their lovely staff in Bend, Oregon for hosting us in their beautiful patio and keeping us and our guests deliciously caffeinated. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On our next episode, we talk to hiker, artist, naturalist, and all-around amazing human being, Colby Kirk. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.